how do you have benefits that are great for employees and career growth over here? Well, if you have the benefits that support employees really and allow them to free up and then focus on their career growth, you're going to have both happening. And you cannot have career growth if you don't have what you need in place to support from a childcare perspective, a commuting perspective, a flexibility perspective. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. The way we work has changed forever and highly skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top talent to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Labby, Chief People Officer at TopTel. If you feel overwhelmed trying to wrap your head around the news coming at you from all directions, you're not alone. It's why The Skim has become hugely popular in the past 10 years. The Skim is a digital media company aimed at millennial women. Its flagship product is a newsletter sent out every weekday morning that's a digest of the top news stories and key issues from around the world. Sharply written with snappy headlines and just enough context, the newsletters have a loyal following of more than 7 million readers, myself included. My guest today, Lisa Dahlenbach, is the Chief People Officer at The Skim, where she's focused on building an equitable and positive employee experience. Before joining the Skim in 2021, Lisa was the Chief People Officer at software company Silverline and CHRO at media agency Mindshare. Prior to that, she led human resources at the digital media firm Digitas for 15 years. She has a passion for working in fast-changing organizations and believes in a people-first and partner-oriented approach to talent and HR. I'm so excited to hear about what it's like to lead HR at a company I admire so much, The Skim. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I was reading this morning all about Will Smith and- uh, Yes, (laughs) gave us a lot to report on today. And I think I bought some Bomba socks last week. Yes, the Skim Your Life newsletter on Thursday with all our best picks. There you go. Can be dangerous, but lots of good things in there. It actually can be. So um, I'd love to begin by asking you um, just how you got to where you are today and what's your career story? So I love that question because I, I try to tell it to a lot of those that are younger in their career because I didn't have a career plan, which I, I always felt like everyone around me did. And I didn't. And my soundbite on my career would be always be open to things that you don't expect. The, the abbreviated version is um, I was getting my MBA and I did an internship as part of that program. And I absolutely loved the internship. It was at Kraft General Foods. And I turned that into a full-time job and then finished my MBA at night. So that was my lesson. Number one is when you find something that you thrive at and you love, go for it. 200%, which is what I did. And then I stayed in packaged goods and went to L'Oreal to Cosmere. And then I left and went to Digitas, um, the digital agency, because I really wanted a broader business perspective. And so my time at Digitas, I was there for 15 years, seven of those, the first seven I worked on the client account. So I worked on American Express and General Motors, et cetera. And we were building out the New York office and they asked me to come off of the client business and build out the L&D function and then became HR. 
for New York. And at first I said no, because I loved the role of being the trusted advisor for clients. I loved the role of helping set them up for success. I loved thinking about and being creative in terms of what they could do to better the initiatives they had in place. And I had a great mentor at the time that helped me understand that when you work internally on talent, that is what you're doing for an organization. It's the same thing. And I do apply a lot of my business strategy thinking that I used to use with clients to the organization from a talent perspective today. I didn't see that that would be something I would love so much, but I had mentors and people around me that did. And I did say no at first, because <laughs> I loved it. So that was my number two is be open. People sometimes see things that you don't. And so I did that at Digitas, built out L&D across North America, then added on HR and recruiting. And even when I went to Mindshare, which it was an ex-Digitas CEO that had called me and said, you know, come on over here. And he explained to me, he said, we have the scale. We're you know close to 2000 people, but I, I don't have a lot of the infrastructure built and a lot of the foundation to have great leaders and a great culture. And so I came over there to do that with him. And now being at smaller organizations, it's obvious that I like to create and build off of a really solid, beautiful foundation in place. How do you take good to great, great to greater? But that's what I've done my whole career. So when I look back in hindsight, even though I was at larger organizations, I really saw that I love to create and I love to build. And, and you wouldn't think being an HR is creative. Um, so that's kind of my third is to really try not to box yourself into what people tell you your career should look like or what it can be. Because what I do is incredibly creative. Um, and it's one of the things that I love the most. So now I'm at the Skim. And before that, I was at Silverline, which both are technology companies that are growing and scaling. And so they have these incredible foundations in place. And my role is to really help them continue to build that out with an eye on what we're going to need when you become 500 people, when you become 1,000 people. Yeah. And so it's interesting. So your education, because you majored in English and marketing at Boston yes. College. It's funny because I, I actually majored in political science thinking I was going to law school. And then my first job out of college was in marketing. So it's be open. You know, I, I went to marketing and ended up in HR. So, you know, how do you think your degrees prepared you for a career in HR or did they well, not? Well, it's interesting because technically the degrees didn't, but the degrees that I have and the liberal arts thinking and background taught me how to critically think and how to really look at a situation and think about it holistically. And I think you really need that skill in business today. I mean, listen, that was one of my concerns coming into the talent roles and our chief people officer at Digitas at the time said, I can teach you all the technical pieces, but I can't teach you how to think the way you think. I can't teach you how to approach a problem the way you do. And I do think the liberal arts education does that for you. I also think I encourage people to keep exploring and, and liberal arts, right? It's all about exploring all the humanities and so many, you explore business, math, English, philosophy, arts, history, keep exploring until you find the thing that really inspires and intrigues you. And I finally stumbled upon a marketing class. Let's go back to Digitas. How did you use your client facing background to help elevate the L&D function within the organization? I, to this day, think of my employees as my customers and my clients. Yep. How do I think about what my different customers, my employees need? How do I think about how those needs change as they're in different levels and on different clients? And that was something that Digitas, I mean, from the day I got there, has always been an enormous investor in L&D for their employees. That was one of our points of differentiation. So it allowed me to really have a great landscape and support to go in and really build these very targeted, very specific programs. Not a whole lot different than you do in marketing, right? Yep. The other thing that really 
um, was so much fun. And I think really helped us in our success was we said, well, if we're going to rebuild the L&D function, this is across North America, we piloted in New York. How are we going to let people know about it? Same thing you do in business. Like, how are we going to market? So we had a whole marketing campaign. It had logos, it had taglines, it had promotional campaign elements to it. it had, so that was really fun because it's directly taking what you do for your clients in the marketplace and then applying that to a launch that you have happening internally. I remember, I mean, working at Razorfish, you know, such a creative agency and you're surrounded by all these creative people that there were always a lot of juices flowing yes. that bled over to every area of the business. And that, of course, brings us to The Skim, founded by women for women in 2012. Um, tell me about the culture at The Skim and how it addresses the needs of working women. You know, The Skim has really grown up and, you know, with its audience evolving from a newsletter really a pioneer, you know, into a multi-platform, very mission-driven media company and really working to give this generation of women, millennial women, the agency and the confidence to maneuver through life's um, necessities and really help them live their smartest lives. And what we mean by that is how can we get them the information that they need so they can make their best decisions, feel like they have what they need to know when to go even learn more that type of thing. There, certainly, I would say we're a company that is obsessed with our core audience. Again, it's mostly mil millennial women, although we do have a lot of men that read us and there's a lot of halo on either sides of that. And we really walk the walk in terms of being a predominantly female um, in population. We are female founded. And certainly the, the issues and the topics and what we report on as well as educate on are very for the most part, specific and important to women. And what I think is amazing is how much we do that internally as well. You know, just last week with, I don't know whether you've seen the paid um, family leave campaign. Yep. Yeah, so we, we looked at our own policies and we said, you know what, we can be better, just like we're asking everybody else to be. So I'm really proud to be part of an organization that is not only helping women be the best that they can be and give themselves agencies to maneuver their life the way they want, but then also turns around and internally asks the same question of ourselves and commits to continually making sure that we are a better organization for women ourselves. Can you tell me a little bit more about the show us your leave? Cause I was seeing it everywhere. Uh, I was seeing it in a lot of posts and referenced in a lot of places. So how did that even come about and what's the impact been? So it's interesting. So when the build back better infrastructure didn't, pan out the way we had all hoped it would be. We asked our audience to share their paid family leave stories. Is what the first, the, the show us our leave was really asking, the show us what your leave is. What does that look like? Because the thought was, okay, well, it didn't happen the way we wanted to from a bill or a law perspective. Okay, how can we turn to the private sector and see what we can do here? As that gained so much momentum and the response was really overwhelming. We had hundreds and hundreds of people sharing their experiences. So it became both us educating, again, back to our core and our mission, helping given women, giving women the best information they can have and educating them how to go have that conversation with their HR department, to how some of them don't even have leave policies at all. So how can we give you the information and arm you with the questions to ask and the information to help maybe construct something at any of these organizations and improve that? And then the other piece that ran in parallel was the fact that we had all these organizations. I mean, we now have over 500 and big ones 
that you would not expect to participate in something like this, like American Express out there really saying, here's what our leave looks like. Here's what we have. Here's what we're proud of. So it really became something. And, and now not only that, now we have a database of what leave looks like that people can access and they can look at this and see how everybody else has done it and get great information for how they might structure something in their own organization. So it really was such a proud moment for us because we felt we so truly empowered so many people and so many organizations to really structure something so much more meaningful. And again, including ourselves. I mean, we decided to take away, um, we are now gender neutral in terms of caregivers and just made it a flat 18 weeks, no matter who you are, if you have a baby arriving at home. And we also added in, NICU policy, which is if you have a baby in the NICU, it's not eating into your time at home, recovering and um, bonding with the baby. So it was nice because it really helped us also to really take a look at what we were offering and improve ourselves there. So it was a pretty, a pretty proud moment for us. Yeah. I was amazed by all the companies that I saw that had participated. Yeah. Yeah. And across so many, we had healthcare, we had banking, we had advertising, um, and as you and I know, I was surprised some of the advertising agencies that that jumped in and shared um, and improved their policy leaves. So it's great. Yeah. And it, I mean, clearly it put pressure on those that were not market competitive, especially since now it's all about trying to get the best candidates that you have to. Exactly. Have your and, you know, offering. the other thing, going back to the question of how do you apply business perspective or even anything I've learned in the liberal arts degree is that. If, if you step back and you do the thinking to say, well, why aren't people doing this? Well, there's a cost to it, right? And there's an organizational distraction that happens when people are in and out and that type of thing. So for us, for example, what we did at the skim was we really went to every single department and we looked at, okay, what are the roles that if somebody is out for whatever reason, we can't backfill with a contractor or someone short term. And how can we plan for that? How can we estimate how many of that might happen? And which are the roles that are so critical to the business or going to be so difficult from a transition perspective when somebody is out? How can we then plan against that and mitigate against that? You just need some planning and some time to think about it. So I think that was also a helpful exercise to really bring in the practicality of for whatever people are out on leave for, how do you make sure that the business flows? And then also, how do you think about I like to call them on-ramps and off-ramps for people when they go out on leave, yep. again, for whatever reason. Some people take a leave of absence for a year. How, how do I make sure that their skills are still relevant and meaningful when they come back? And if they're not, how do I help them there? I don't have the answers there yet, but those are the types of things like from a real holistic picture of leave. How do you start to think about it? Yeah, those are amazing things to focus on. And you know, I had read in a Women in the Workplace article that, of women said that they were burned out last year. Um, So in a predominantly female organization like the SKIM, you know, what are you doing to address the burnout and support wellness, which seems to be a huge topic, which I think has even raised more since COVID started. Yeah, it's it's troubling how much everybody has struggled and and continues to. I I wonder at times if that struggle was there before and people didn't voice it as much. Um, but either way, I, I do think there's a lot of good things that came out of COVID and the fact that people, if COVID was a reason to talk about it, that it got us to that place was fantastic. So a couple of the things that we have done, um, I think some of the things such as we have no meetings Friday afternoons, I think a lot of people have done that. We also have something called sacred time at the skim. And so what sacred time is, 
is you can block time on your calendar. You don't have to say what it is, what it's sacred time. Nobody is allowed to book over that time. It can be for anything. It'd be to take a walk, take your dog to the vet. It can be to breathe. It, it could be for anything. It is incredibly respected and really something that has been a great way to allow individuals to each manage what they need for their mental health and just balance in the work life. Because that's the thing that gets hard, right? As you scale, you have to think about what can I put in place that's going to address 500 people at once, 10,000 people. So that's something that I put back, we put back to the employees to say, you use, this is a tool you have, use it as makes sense for you. Um, the other thing that we did was we have unlimited PTO, which is fine. We really encourage people. And at the senior levels, we take it. And we're very clear about when we take it, just because we need a break, we're vocal about that. So people understand that's what we're doing it for. But we also added in four additional days off for the whole company is closed in the summer. And the reason we did that was because there's a real reality that when you go out, our, everything's still going on. We come back to a lot. If we take the day and close it for everybody, everybody is off. Everybody has a break. Um, we also do something in the summertime. We celebrate the Skims anniversary. We celebrate birthday week. We have mandatory two extra days off there. And I think the other thing that for burnout that we did that was really important. And it goes back to like, how do you, how do you implement support and benefits and policies that can be individually executed? Um, but this year we partnered with Vivi. I don't know if you know them. Mm -hmm. They're an amazing childcare support benefit. And what the reason we chose them is because they offer this incredibly wide range of benefits. If you have toddlers all the way up to teenagers, they have options for what kind of care you might need. So if you need a site to take your kids to for daycare. They have that. If you want someone to come to your home, they have that. If you have somebody you already know that you want help paying for, we have a stipend there that supports that. Wow. If you need, like I have teenagers, so I just need the help tutoring. And with the homework, I can't get to it. They have help with that. So they offer this incredibly broad range. So again, going back to giving employees the tools that they can then individually use as makes sense for them has been really important for us. We also, in, in the hybrid model, going back to the office, we very purposely have decided the office in our hybrid model is closed on Mondays and Fridays. And that is so that people can do their heads down work. It also allows us to drive an equitable experience for our employees. So we have our big meetings cross company on Mondays and Fridays. So it's not like who's in the office, who's out. It's an equity. Everybody's on the zoom for that. And we said, nobody wants to go in on Mondays. Usually everyone's kind of catching up right. from the weekend and Fridays. No one wants to go in. So let's take those, just close the office. We're in live Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So I think that's helped with the work-life balance as well. I also read an article by your founders that um, it was, I think it was titled, how can we make the great return, the great her turn? Yes. <laughs> this the yes her turn so i think a lot of these things we're talking about was um and carly and danielle are just they're so bright and so passionate about always supporting women and what they need but given how much women lost from a career perspective yeah. because of covid and when everyone talked about the return they really just sat there and thought about how can we make this her return and what can we do part of the paid family you know the show us your leave campaign was part of that thinking about how we come back in and be supportive of our organization overall, it's predominantly women, but overall for our men as well, um, was part of their thinking there in terms of how can we support what women need? Because clearly the pandemic showed that 
we need to support women a lot more. And I think this parallels and tandem straight into career growth because everyone talks about them separately, right? Like how do you have benefits that are great for employees and career growth over here? Well, if you have the benefits that support employees really and allow them to free up and then focus on their career growth, you're going to have both happening. And you cannot have career growth if you don't have what you need in place to support from a childcare perspective, a commuting perspective, a flexibility perspective. You can't have someone in there focusing on their career because they have all these other components of their life that they can't manage and they need the help with. So um, it, yeah. in my opinion, it's so important from just an overall broader strategy of really supporting career growth and therefore retention, retaining talent. Yeah. Yeah. So it's taking out the obstacles. So whether it's not having to go into the office or having the childcare that you need and all that support so that they can still focus on growing their career. And as we started this by talking about how learning and development is so important, which is a focus yeah. that I have doubled the size of my team this year too, to build that out. So I completely, it's all part of the same package. Yeah. And it does synergistically all work together. I've seen that in our employees, you know, those that we have a lot of people who had babies during COVID and during when we we're all at home and they're able to do, we've, because of the flexibility, because we've got the support for them, because however we figure that out for them, I think the flexibility is the really key point to have one policy and one approach um, is very challenging to have that work broadly. It's got to somehow, and again, I recognize that gets difficult as you're larger, but to have, have that ability to Think of the tools and think of the benefits you're putting in place. Do they allow individuals to go in and craft it as makes sense for them? I think to me is the real North Star to be hitting on from an HR perspective. Yeah. And so speaking of HR, you and I have been in HR for a long time. Um, and it seems that over the past few years, I have least seen this. Organizations have become much more employee centric and the role of the CHRO is gaining a lot of strategic importance. I'm sure you've seen it. What changes have you seen? I mean, I, I've, I've seen these jobs posted everywhere for heads of HR. It seems like people are really getting the memo that they really need strong HR leadership to have a seat at the table to focus on employees first. Yeah, it's so great, isn't it? I, I just, it's funny, I was just putting together a presentation for over at my son's school, you know, what's, what's human resources? <laughs> it's, it's really all things people now, which I don't know before I felt like it was the rules, the regulations, the policy, you know, it was a very black and white, almost not robotic, but it really was like, okay, what are the functional pieces? What without really thinking about the human piece of it. And I think that's, what's changed to me is how do you think about all of our talent, right? Which if you have great talent and happy talent, growing, prosperous, productive talent, right? I mean, everyone knows this, the boats all rise, the business is very successful. And I do think that it was just a separate conversation and a separate function almost, whereas HR sort of was over here to the right, putting things like functionally, operationally, and maybe that's the right word. HR was so operational in the right. past. Comp okay, and benefits so, and hiring yeah, and reviews. It was your just 401k scary. gets matched, your yeah. medical, your, you get paid, which is critically important. Like you have to have really solid operations, I think, before you can start moving on to the real strategic pieces. But that is how HR was viewed in the past. And now I really see our people teams are looked at for 
really counsel and guidance on how to structure and think about the organization, think about talent, both not only structurally what we need from a workforce planning perspective, but also all those pieces from a skill set perspective, like you just mentioned. What, are, what do we need to do from a learning and development perspective? What do we need to do from a team perspective? What do we need to do from an organizational perspective? And I feel like those conversations did not happen as much in HR. So that's the change that I see. And I imagine you have yeah. as well, which I think is a really exciting place to be. And when, it, when you really do it right, what I see is that the people teams, the HR teams become the trusted place that employees go as well. Yeah. They're the respected team. They're a trusted team. They go to them for counsel. And I think if we all look at our employees as our clients and my job, I've said this so many times, I, my job I can is in one sentence, how do I set up our people for success each day? That's what I'm here to do. All, everything we do yep. should do that. Do I pay them enough? Do I give them flexibility? Am I working to make sure they have what they need from a career perspective, a, a skill set perspective, and a culture and team and organization perspective? And we're brought into the conversation at the beginning. Yeah. We're the first thought, not like, oh, I yeah, was going to say, involve somebody from HR. No, we're like front and center. Yeah. To the, to the point where, I have found so many times you then have to pull in people from the business. I'll have to say, listen, this is challenging because we are not sitting on the business. Every, we need people in the room from the business, which is the complete opposite of what the conversation used to be. So it's really exciting. What's the one thing that you think every HR executive should be focusing on over the next year? That's a great question. I think going back to how do you marry career, I think career growth, career progression. And I'm going to say career, right? Because it can just be growth overall, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, Personal growth. the reason I, I hesitate on using the word career is maybe back to my own. Um, people think they have to have this big, grandiose career plan. It's not that, but if people are growing and people are seeing progress and people are seeing what they're doing, not only themselves individually, but as an organization, understand what you're doing as an organization, why would they leave? I mean, yes, they're going to leave maybe for more money. They're going to leave for, but to me, that's the really sticky point that you can get money anywhere. You can get, you know, a lot of these other things anywhere, but if you focus on the benefits again, that really support your people as well as their own growth, I think you've got a really strong story and potential to retain talent, which is really what everyone is focused on right now and needs to be because there's a lot of movement going on. Oh yeah. The flexibility with location has just really allowed people to rethink what they're doing. I also think that, think about it, this whole, you know, great resignation. There's three things, right? There's how am I paid my compensation? Do I like what I'm doing? And, you know, the people I'm doing it with and what is the job? The job you can find anywhere, the pay you can probably figure out anywhere. The people who you're doing it with, the, the place I'm doing it at, do I believe in the company? Is the culture good? Is it supportive to me and supporting my life and what I want to do? That piece is the sticky piece that you cannot replicate. Absolutely. You shouldn't be able to replicate. And that's what keeps people. So I feel like that part in the middle, I know I answered that in sort of two different ways, um, is really important for us to focus on. Absolutely. Because what you do and how you get paid, yeah. you can figure that out anywhere. Yeah. And, and that part in the middle is the part that's been so difficult and lost a bit while we've all been at home. Right. But the flexibility and support while we've been at home is what stands out for a lot of people. Yes. It's how they've been treated during this crazy time. And that's what kind of breeds loyalty, in my opinion. Yep, I agree. 
I, I just, I think that it's so important that all of us, especially so much, I'm so tired of the uncharted times phrase, but <laughs> it I is, know. I mean, listen, it is, all of this is so new. And I think the ability to remain transparent, to be sharing what we are doing and learning from each other. So just as an ecosystem of women in the workplace in our country continues to rise, at least for us at our, our female um, you know, probably founded organization and, and what our mission is, the more we can be focused on that and how we continue to allow our people to be their best and not have, and I think we've come a long way in this, the personal life, what you need there and the work life to be separate things. I think the more we can continue to just push that and be creative with that. And listen, COVID did that for us as well. Whoever thought the whole country could go home for two years and work from home? Nobody, right? So there's good forcing mechanisms out there right now to really push our thinking and get us to be even more creative than we were before. And the more we share that and do that, I just think the better we're all going to be as workforce in total. Great. Well, Lisa, I so appreciate hearing your perspective, hearing more about the skim and you just sharing all of your stories. Um, this was a great conversation. So I appreciate you being a guest on the Talent Economy Thank you. Podcast. I so enjoyed it. Awesome. We'll hang up now and book our coffee in Florida in the sunshine. I was at the pool all weekend. So. Okay, enough. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Talent Economy. I'm your host, Michelle Labby. You can find much more information about the talent economy on staffing.com and toptel.com slash insights. Hubs for bold, comprehensive content featuring business thought leaders and authoritative research focused on the future of work.